Welcome to the Optimal Mindset. I'm your host, Johnny Taylor. I started this show because I am fascinated by human capabilities and performance. Why is it that certain people reach their potential and how does their mindset help them to succeed? I want to understand what are the tools, tactics and strategies high achievers use to optimize their mind and achieve greatness. In these episodes, we'll be speaking to some of my personal idols from sports and performance to discover the definition of an optimal mindset and how we can train our own minds to achieve our biggest dreams. Please follow the show on Instagram and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so we can share out the inspiring messages within each episode with a wider audience. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life. Okay, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Annie Shea. Welcome to the show, Annie. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to chat with you. Today's episode is really special, as not only is Annie someone I really admire and am inspired by, she's also my girlfriend. Annie grew up a successful and highly competitive high school swimmer in the USA. Upon moving abroad, age 22, to Morocco, she shifted her mindset to find the joy and love of being physically active. Over the weekend, Annie came second in the Aquathon race in Manila, and watching you made me so, so proud and happy to see you compete with such joy and in a more competitive environment. So I'm wondering if you could give us some background of your journey from this highly competitive swimmer to finding enjoyment in triathlons and the yoga that you do today. Yeah, um, yeah, gosh, and, uh, you know, tri- uh, I guess you mentioned triathlons, biking, swimming, running, yoga, also strength training has been a big one for me. But yeah, my journey, um, as you mentioned, I grew up competitive swimmer, um, starting, you know, probably like swim team when I was maybe five or six, which led into high school swimming, um, uh, swimming for a club, you know, kind of competing on a more national level in the States and then completely stopping full stop. Um, when I went to college, I just really needed a break from it all. And so I was not as active as or just was really yeah again full stop not active in college and then in my adult life as I you know had a profession was living alone for the first time needed some kind of physical outlet started to um, explore moving my body and fitness in a new way in my 20s and now here I am 29 and kind of really fallen back in love with competitive uh, competitive sport with more kind of vigorous training and it just looks really different uh for me now um than it did back then yeah uh, excellent and i, I kind of want to dive back into um kind of your growing up and i know you said um obviously you talked we talked a bit about you being competitive and your high mm. school environment but um what was your mindset as a, as a high school athlete and, and what do you think cultivated this mindset Oh gosh, not not a highly productive one. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I grew up a swimmer, and I think it was probably the end of middle school when someone realized that I was able to swim uh, the butterfly, and I was one of the only kids that could swim it technically correct, so I could swim it at meets without getting disqualified, and that is something I kind of just latched onto. You know, I think probably as um, a lot of you know young teenagers do and children do is they want to find things that they thrive at that people really give them validation and recognition for and for me it was it was swimming and how did that manifest in my mindset um 
I just wanted to continue getting that recognition, I think. It was really extrinsic for me. I, you know, I was a middle child. I wasn't, I didn't feel at least that I was the smartest of my sisters. I, you know, had really brilliant, incredible friends that I, you know, it wasn't, not saying I was competing against them, but getting this recognition meant a lot to me. And I just, you know, wanted to feed off of that and continue to, to uh, succeed. And for me, that was a lot of pressure that I was putting on myself. Um, because I think I just really attached it to my worth. And so uh, I went into every meet, every competition with kind of that pressure to um, succeed to impress people. And uh, that wasn't sustainable whatsoever um, because there were kind of things that felt out of my control that I couldn't keep building and growing. And then that in turn um, really impacted kind of I mean, just the way I viewed sport, the way I viewed myself. So, yeah, I guess, long story short, my mindset was not one of, uh, was not sustainable simply because it I was not the driving, like, my happiness, my core beliefs were not the driving force of it. It sounds like you were someone that maybe was good at swimming and then you ele- elevated you to being, you know, your peers calling you Annie the swimmer and that kind of made you feel like, your identity was tied to, like you said, being a swimmer. And then so whenever whenever you're successful, you know, that's when you see your you know, your values of being successful. But also when you when you fail, then you kind of see yourself as a failure. Is that was that kind of correct? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I was a high school student who at the time, you know, lived, breathed swimming. It was, you know, um, six days a week, double sessions. Uh, you know, my club team, my high school team, it was such a part of my like the time it took up in my daily life and yeah absolutely it was a huge part of my identity and so um having that so strongly linked and again like I keep saying my worth but thinking like this is you know this is who I am this is what makes me stand out this is what makes me different this is what you know sets me apart um really sucked any joy that was there for swimming for me I'm sorry to hear that and obviously that sounds like a, a lot of pressure for for a you know a high school student to be navigating all the you know transitions but also to be dealing with this did your out of interest did your coaches offer any psychological t- tools to help you cope with this pressure and performance um yeah I mean I'm sure as you know I will also say like swimming is a very it's a very difficult sport for um, and and you know to f- for these for swimmers and athletes to have a really positive mindset and I think nowadays I think there's probably a lot more support for swimmers just by the sheer fact that you know if you're training three hours a day that's three hours of solitude in the water there's not you're not joking with your teammates I mean maybe between sets you're not um, kind of uh, getting energy off of each other in a team setting. It's it's a highly individual sport. And um, I think that was a huge component for me. Now, in terms of like competitions and what our, our coaches would guide us with, I mean, m- my mom was definitely super helpful in, you know, trying to really help me put my nervous energy in and channel that into being the most effective swimmer I could be. But I don't think I had the capacity at the time to do so. It was just so high stakes for me. And I, you know, I physically responded to that stress, which again, I know I could have definitely used 
that stress in a more positive way. But it was really tricky for me. Um, yeah, I would try to visualize, you know, my race. I would try to visualize my success. But at the time, and probably, you know, there's some elements of truth to it, but I, it felt so out of my hands. You know, when I'm swimming in that race, I don't know how fast I'm going. I don't know if I'm hitting my mark. My only gauge is my the people on the two lanes on either side of me. And who knows what kind of race they're having that day. You know, so it, it just felt really um, out of reach for me. And that just made it all the all the more trickier. Oh, that sounds really tricky. But I think one thing that one thing that kind of impresses me is your ability to change your mindset. And I think you've definitely, to me now, you've definitely shifted your mindset in terms of how you approach training and how you how you approach competition. So what do you think helped you to shift the way that you think when it comes to um, exercise, when it comes to sport and when it comes to, to competing? Hmm. Um, to be honest, I think to some extent I really needed a break from it or at least I needed a break from swimming. Um, I don't think I got into a lap pool for four straight years after I graduated, um, from high school, you know, it was the summer after I graduated from college that I started, you know, swimming laps again and seeing how that felt. I think what really helped was, yeah, the break and then finding ways to joyfully move my body. And when I moved to Morocco, it was running. Um, that was how I would decompress after a long day of work. It was surfing, right? I was right by the water so I could learn to surf, which was really joyful for me learning. Um, I will say at first I was still like very competitively driven, but then I was like, okay, this is actually something that I'm finding happiness in. It doesn't need to be, you know, I'm not comparing myself to my friends, etc. And then, um, yeah, I think it really just does come back to joy. Then I even think about finding then biking and getting into more competitive swimming again and yoga over the pandemic, shadow boxing I got into, you know, trying things out that were novel and uh, just a way for me to to find joy by movement, by releasing energy from my body. Um, yeah, for me, it all comes back to joy. I love that. And, and I think that actually linked into what one of our, our previous guests, Jonathan McCarthy, said was the reason that he liked to cycle was for the exploration and the travel aspect and the joy that he found from exploring new places, right? Which which mm-hmm. we often see sport as this like competitive, like driven grind and hustle, which, which to a certain extent it can be. And that could be some people's motivation. But it's also we've got to consider that actually amateurism in sport is to do with doing something because you love the sport right and I think that Mm -hmm. that's often why people might take up exercise right or might find a passion yeah yeah definitely I can even think back to Morocco and just trying out Zumba like it just any any kind of form of movement that you know brings you to a place of feeling really good and proud after is I think is a really positive step sorry go ahead Oh, perfect. We're going to come back to your um, to understanding why you exercise, and we're going to talk a bit about yeah. more about, about your you being proud. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, thanks for sharing, and thanks for being vulnerable enough to to share your story on here as well. So yeah, I will. Reason- do you mind if I if yeah. I will say? I know I I feel like maybe I've painted a really um, negative narrative of my high school swimming experience. There were pockets of joy for sure. I mean, I wouldn't have done it if. I didn't feel like there was payoff. You know, I I was elected high, a captain of my high school swim team. That was, you know, incredible. I really and that team of girls, we had just the best time together. I think I think oh, like a lot of factors led to what they call, you know, burnout, especially which is very prevalent in swimming that um 
And for me, the burnout was not only physical because of illnesses and whatnot, but it was 100% because of my my mindset. So I just want to throw that in there that I, you know, I'm so grateful for my time competitively swimming. It was, you know, I can't even count how many like life lessons I learned during those, you know, four or five years. Um, but I'm also really glad that I can reflect and think back to what I do want to take from that into my current life and what I'm happy to be leaving behind. Oh, amazing. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for clarifying. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, you've done a good job there of, of summing it up. So recently um I, mm-hmm. our listeners will, won't know this but you've um had back surgery um and mm. i've always kind of blown away just with how resilient you've been um to overcome such a, a challenging and traumatic experience um so maybe you could tell us uh, how you managed to get back into strength training and what your motivations were to get back into to exercising mm. yeah i can't believe it'll be four months on saturday since that surgery um, I think I had to handle that really practically, which was tricky, but kind of the best way to, to mentally comprehend and accept what I needed to happen. And, and it was just matter of fact, my back was, um, had been hurting for a year and a half. You know, the MRI, the scans showed that there was some nerve damage and my options were, you know, kind of keep trying different remedies, but feeling the discomfort and probably not getting full relief and full uh yeah get being able to move forward um the way i'd want or have the surgery and which would also be really difficult um you know have the necessary changes in my back made and move forward with a tough recovery so it did feel a bit like being you know stuck between a rock and a hard place very grateful that i have access to that procedure though but it just i i had to come to full acceptance that this is something that would ultimately put me in a better position for life for my health and for yeah for for sport so um i mean you were there there were some dark days of my recovery where i felt really discouraged and it was hard you know as i've mentioned in my 20s especially like being physically active has been such a huge asset to my mental health and to my daily routine and um kind of foregoing that for a bit was really challenging I think where I have found some success and made some progress is really listening to my body. And that was tricky because I have doctors telling me one thing, physical therapists kind of giving different advice. And I had to really sit in my body, you know, and think what feels good, what feels okay. Um, so it's been a slow, slow process, you know, um, figuring out can I lift these weights? Does that feel right? Um, does swimming, is this feeling good for my body right now? Should I just go for a long walk rather than trying to do something that's more high impact? So it's been a little bit of um, exploration. It's been a little bit of trial and error. It's been a lot of physical therapy work. It's been, yeah, it's just been a process. And I think as much as I've wanted to rush it, I've had to realize that I can't um, but I, yeah, I am just so thankful to be in the place that I am almost four months later. I mean, I did not, not think I would be able to be training as much as I am. And I really credit that to a lot of different things. Um, but I do think my kind of shift in acceptance of my, my mindset of being more accepting to what the reality and the, my current state is has been really helpful. 
I mean, it's incredible to think four months ago you had surgery and, and this weekend you were competing in an aquathon, which, which we'll get back to. So I think you can be really proud of yourself and that's a fantastic, fantastic achievement. I'm going to just Thank dive you. back into what... You, oh, I'm going to just... No worries. I'm just going to jump back into what you said there about acceptance. Is that mm-hmm. like a... Is there like a practical... Like sometimes when people meditate, they'll sit and they'll accept... Um, things that are happening around them is that like a is that like a practical thing or is that or can you kind of give us more information about how you would go about accepting that hmm that's a good question um i think the way my brain works is it often looks for the gray area and the what ifs and oh but if i sure i like i'm a very i like to be very sure um and and i couldn't I couldn't be. I couldn't be 100% sure the surgery would be successful. I couldn't be 100% certain that this surgery was the right move, that I would make a full recovery to be as active as I can now. And that was really uncomfortable, obviously. And so kind of sitting in the discomfort and just... So while I do look for that gray area, I'm also... <laughs> I like the, you know, I, I find clarity and um, comfort in the kind of black and white. So I had to just kind of whether it's journal or say those things to myself, like, this is where I am. This is what I need. My body says this, you know, um, I, I had to kind of just get really real with myself and kind of tell myself the facts and what I do know, because there's so much up in the air. Um, I don't know if that kind of answers your question. It was, it was tricky. I had to really like lean into skills that I find really difficult, which is, uh, accepting the, um, the unknown and kind of dealing with what I have at hand. Yeah, and that, and that ties in kind of with something that I often say and I often think about is making sure that we focus purely with what's in our control, right? And there's a mm-hmm. lot of external noise and things that we can't control, but really it's about being focused and locked into the things that we can control. So moving forward, um, I kind of want to dive back into, we've talked a bit about you talking about how you cultivate joy when exercising so how do you cultivate this happiness and joy when you're when you're training what 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 does that practically look like hmm yeah that's a good one and that's ever changing for me um different times in my life I think I am finding joy in different things right now competition feels joyful for me it obviously once didn't um so I I know I thrive off of autonomy and um, especially with exercise, it's kind of my time in the day where I, you know, I get to have free reign. I'm not, you know, working for someone else. I'm not, you know, doing my responsibilities, my must, my non-negotiables. So I love waking up or planning out my week even and just thinking like, what am I in the mood to do? Um, And that's just kind of worked for me. I know some people it works better to have like a vigorous training plan that they stick to, that they're strict with that, you know, Monday is this, Tuesday is this. And maybe one day that will work for me right now. It's, it's kind of going by how I feel like this morning, you know, I haven't done yoga in forever, but I was like, Ooh, I've had some kind of high impact, heavy lifting days. Yoga feels right today. Tomorrow's physical therapy. The day after maybe I'll do a swim. We'll kind of see. So it's really um, kind of doing a lot of check-ins with myself, seeing where I'm at and just seeing, you know, what I'm, what my brain is leaning into, what my heart's leaning into and, and really trusting that. Um, And without judgment, I think is kind of a big one. I'm not judging how much or how little I'm doing. It's just what feels right. 
and that's you know that's a skill i i realize i'm i'm kind of maybe oversimplifying i've really had to like work to listen to what my body and what my brain and my heart want in that moment but that's that's kind of where i'm finding joy with exercise right now i love that i love that answer and i think i think yeah often that's something that we're not really told right like coaches rarely tell us to to listen to our our bodies and notice how we feel right it's often about like pushing through the pain or like you know trying Mm -hmm. to like hustle harder and and i think and that works for some people right like and and i don't want to discredit that whatsoever i just if i'm which you know we'll get to my why i guess but if i am trying to exercise through joy like that's what's working for me and um yeah, I not to like kind of digress a bit, but I, I was I follow a triathlete account of a, a female triathlete that lives in the states, and she posted us during a Q and A a similar answer um, the other day on Instagram when someone asked, you know, what's the training plan you follow? Do you have a coach? And she similar was like, oh yeah, no, you know, not to discredit or no disrespect to coaches or anyone who does that. She's like, that's not what works for me. And I was like, wow, this is a pro triathlete kind of sharing this, that she, you know, finds joy in making those choices herself. And that was kind of refreshing to me because I've always seen it as from like, oh, well, you know, I'm, it's, I am quite amateur, but in, in my training, but, um, it's just, yeah, I guess just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I feel, I feel seen. I feel heard. Um, yeah. And that is what works for me right now. I love that. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. And I think when I first started this podcast, I often thought that I was going to, you know, discover the absolute optimal mindset. But I think the more that I speak to people, the more that I realize that there's not one optimal mindset. It's there's ways and tools that different people use. And mm-hmm. those tools can reflect and help people to improve their mindset. And it's going to be different for each person. Right. And I think and I think you giving this answer is is just a good way of viewing it in a different lens or something that works for you so so thanks for sharing so whenever you have a race or a run or some training do you have any like um pre race routine so do you like it could be meditation it could be visualization we touched on earlier breathing what do you have any like pre-match or pre-race routines Ooh, that is a good question um I I think I can be a bit of a talker talking about it with people and kind of where just getting those thoughts out of my body is can be quite helpful and um, cathartic for me. Um, It's, it's tricky. I, I think what I'm working on right now, and again, this might change in, you know, months to come, years to come is just being super present. So to some degree, like preparation before you know, a couple days before or the night before I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, just to be really present. I think maybe a, like a buildup of skills I'm working on, like meditating every morning, stretching those types of things. I'm hoping that will have payoff, but I can't really hammer down one thing that I'd say, oh yeah, before a race, I'm going to do this. Or, um, I think it's more of a combination of practices that I'm really trying to, uh, to work on whether it's journaling yeah meditating um breath holds uh thinking about you know the cleanliness of my diet that type of thing excellent and we'll dive back into that later when we talk about the, the practical tools that our listeners can use so 
we had a, I had a good chat with uh, another friend of mine on the podcast, Mike Kramer, the other day. Um, and he was saying that one of the things that he found was his... Uh, the reason he exercised was for enjoyment. Now, I know you had a very successful weekend um, coming second at the Aquathon, so well done for that. That was an amazing achievement. Thank you. Um, so my question is, how do you balance, as Mike Kramer says, exercising for enjoyment with wanting to perform op- optimally? Like, How does your mindset balance these two things? Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? It's kind of like a forever type of battle. Um... It, or I, maybe battle's not the right word, but yeah, it's a balancing act for sure. I think I, I had this realization that I shared with you on Sunday before the race as some nerves crept in. Um, <laughs> it's, and, you know, I, I said it was weird. You said it's not. It's perfectly normal. But the races that I'm most prepared for, um, and especially the ones that I feel like maybe I, you know, could be most successful in are the ones that I really have uh, you know stress about I think Sunday was the first time that well number one the first time I thought I could place in a race in a decade (laughs) um since my competitive swimming days and that maybe you know have this uh creeping feeling of um a little bit of stress and a little bit of pressure I was putting on myself and so I was like hold on a second Annie like this is you know you're still going to this race from a place of joy And that was something I reminded myself throughout the race. Like, you like swimming. This is enjoyable, you know? It sounds silly, but literally telling myself that. While I was running, I was actually thinking of Michael Cromer and how he acknowledges how um, I smile when I run, when I see people I know. And I was like, you know, it made me put a smile on my face because I enjoy running. And so it's... And actually, it takes me even back to your last the podcast with um, Matt Rosser and how he's, you know, sometimes sits on the bench and is like, I love basketball. You know, I'm doing what I love. And I think it's almost that kind of reality check with yourself. Like, whoo, chill out a bit. Like you, this is something you love doing. So, you know, go enter, enter that, enter this competition with that lens or bring that energy into it. That being said, I also do like competition. Um, and I think where I've, I've turned the competition in more into myself, meaning I think to myself, how can I elevate from last time? How can I push myself a bit? Or actually, I don't want to use the word push. I, it's a nudge. How can I nudge myself um, to be, you know, 1% better than last time? Or how can I nudge myself in this run to, you know, um, uh, I don't know, take a couple seconds off my mile time. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of finding that balance between, it's almost like friendly competition with yourself and also remembering that, you know, you choose to be there. You choose to enter these races. You are paying money to do it. You may as well have fun. Oh, I love that. It's one of my favorite books. It's written by Eric Thomas. And, and it's the title is literally that. It's you versus you. And, and I think yeah. that you've, you've really summed that up nicely. And yeah, like you said, you pay to be there, right? So that's, you know, that's the reason you're doing it. It's out of pure love and, and pure gratitude that you're competing. So amazing mm-hmm. advice. All right. So speaking of advice... Now, having shifted and transitioned, and obviously you're still learning about about your mindset and and how that helps, what advice would you give your younger swimming self? Ooh, okay. Um, oh, let's think. There's a lot, but I, it's hard. You know, I'm thinking to my 15 year old self. I'm nearly double that age, and you know, I think I. I definitely have more wisdom I'd share I don't know if myself then could have comprehended it but yeah nevertheless I would have number one said chill out (laughs) it's not that big of a deal 
enjoy high school and your friends. Um, it's okay if you don't wake up one morning at 4.45 to swim, you'll be fine. Um, I would say, I, I tell myself, like, ask myself, are you enjoying it? Like, I don't think I ever really did that check-in with myself. It was, you know, I have to do this. This is what where I should be. This is where I'm meant to be. It wasn't like, am I having fun? Is this something I want to keep doing? Um, so I'd say, like, you know, yeah, do that, do that check-in and kind of make a decision based on how I feel rather than how I think I should feel, if that makes sense. Um... Yeah, I think that would kind of be it. I don't, unfortunately, like, I don't think I, yeah, maybe, maybe I'd say like, try something else. <laughs> you know, it doesn't just have to, you don't have to put all your eggs in this one basket, which I very much felt at the time. Um, but I just would just ooh, give myself like a hug and be like, you're doing just fine. Take a deep breath, chill out. And this isn't, this isn't your everything. Excellent. Uh, great answer. So we talked about this before um, and we mentioned it and we're going to come back to it now. So what is your why for for your training, for your participating competition and for playing sport? Like what what's your kind of underlying motivation or your why as to why you want to participate in these activities? Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've probably said the word joy about a dozen times, but it does come back to that for me. I mean, that's what life's about, right? Like finding happiness and finding those pockets of joy. And for me, fitness is a huge area in which I do find joy. Um, and then I, it just not for me, nothing feels better than feeling proud of yourself, whether that's, you know, I'm a teacher. If I feel like I had a really successful lesson, if I cooked a new recipe or tried cooking with a new ingredient that really worked out, um, you know, I feel pride. If I, you know, teach my dog a trick. It's those types of things that, you know, we thrive off of, right? Feeling accomplishment, feeling um, that kind of adoration for yourself. And I think with my fitness goals or with my, um, yeah, my training goals, it's, I can find that I can, I can have those feelings. I can, you know, give myself those nudges and make accomplishments and feel that sense of satisfaction and pride and, you know, love for myself that is completely intrinsic um, that I, you know, missed for so long. No one's giving that to me. I, I can I can leave a workout, you know, sweaty or feeling like I tried a new yoga pose or whatnot and just be like, yeah, wow, I did that. Like, that's cool. That's progress. And for me, I don't, yeah, nothing beats that feeling. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to, I was just going to take the word there that you used at the end. And I love that definition. I was going to say it's all about progress, right? Like it's about, mm -hmm. you know, I think often with society, we, we see things and we compare ourselves to people and we, and we set these huge goals, right? But I think that the marker of human um, kind of mindset or performance is actually progressing and getting slightly better every time that you do something, right? And, the, and those feelings of being proud and being like, yeah, do you know what? I, I couldn't do this yesterday. And now I can do that yoga pose or now I can teach the dog to, to do a trick and now she can. So I think progress is is really key. And, and I love what you said there. So um, based on everything we've talked about, this is a, a podcast special question. I'm sure uh, our listeners are starting to, to uh, see a pattern here. Um, how do you define an optimal mindset, Annie? What's your definition? Whew, okay. 
Um, for me, an optimal mindset is one that is compassionate towards yourself, um, but also curious. I know when we discussed earlier, that was not my answer, but I, yeah, I, I do think it has to be kind of a mix of the two. Like you have to have some compassion for yourself and you also have the sense of like, what's next? What can I, what can I work on? Where can I go from here? Um, and you know, that's like a very short answer for saying, you know, it's an optimal mindset is one where you're, you're, you're empathizing with yourself. You are, you know, giving yourself nudges. You are, um, you're, I don't know, challenging yourself, but in, in like a, a way that comes from love. Um, that's what's worked for me, I think is just, you know, doing it all because I love, I love my body. I love myself. I love what I can achieve and, um, going from there. And then just additionally, I also think this is a very long answer. I also think an optimal mindset is one that like is very accepting, like accepting of where you are in that moment, where, you know, being open to accepting where you'll be a month from now, a week from now, a year from now. I mean, that's what I had to kind of learn through my surgery is that like this, you know, we always say be where your feet are. And that kind of goes with accepting where you are in that moment. So you can't really make progress without realizing where you are. Um, Um, So yeah, all of that. <laughs> I love how we talked about your answer earlier and then you've just gone completely off script and you've just given yeah, us I actually can't, I actually can't even remember my answer earlier. I don't know if you remember. It'll come to me. That's funny. And I, I, I love your mum says that and I know your mum your mum repeats that mantra, but yeah, be where your feet are is, is one, of the, one of the things that I love to say. So for, do you have any, um, I know we chatted about this earlier today, do you have any books or resources or people to follow that you could recommend for someone who would like to uh, maybe develop a more optimal mindset or maybe learn a bit more yeah I kind of went with I love that question that you've been asking and I did some reflecting as we were chatting like I yeah I I pretty much purely read fiction and the podcasts I listen to are ones for me to really um zone out so I don't think I'm the best at giving resources in that respect so then I thought, oh, okay, well, I follow a lot of social media accounts that I think really um, help me tune into the mindset that I want to have. So I have three that are very different. So let me quickly explain. Uh, number one, I'll give a shout out to my good friend, Cassie Till, um, who is the creator of the Female Athlete Development page and initiative. And it's just a really great account to, um, I mean, yeah, simply that, learn about how to be a successful female athlete, how to know your body, how to train for your body. Um, It's full of motivation. It's full of different exercises. It's full of education about the cycle of a woman and how to uh, harness that. It's a superpower, really. So that would be one, uh, female athlete development. Can Mm -hmm. I just jump in there? Yeah, I think Cassie is an incredible person and people should definitely follow uh the account um because there's a wealth of knowledge there so she's gonna she will be she's gonna be a great person to have on this podcast as well um next up yeah no sorry that was just one of my three i'm gonna keep going here (laughs) next up is um interrupt no no worries is your it's called your running bff and 
Um, I think the woman's name is Molly and she is like an, an ultra marathon runner. And I've loved following her because she, I think her original handle was an average runner. And I said to Johnny, like, no, I feel like that, like I'm an average athlete. And what I mean by that is she, she, you know, says that her, her reason behind that is because she doesn't think, um, her body is normally the type of body represented on running accounts. Um, neither, you know, she doesn't have the top clothing, running clothes or the top, you know, number one aesthetic for what we think a really fit runner should look or what society thinks a really fit runner should look like. Um, nor are her pace or nor is her time kind of what we see maybe on Instagram on those accounts of, you know, people, women running, you know, incredibly fast and impressive times. She kind of normalizes, um, as she says, being an average runner. So that has really helped me, I think, with my mindset of just, you know, again, accepting where I'm at and there's no one right way for an athlete to look or show up. And then finally, this one is not an, uh, not a fitness focused account, but I just, it really helps with every type of mindset. Um, it's called the new happy or new happy co is the, is the handle. Um, I've actually had the pleasure of speaking to the woman, Stephanie, who runs this account. She, she spoke to my class last year, but it's just really accessible visual graphics that, um, kind of are some really great reframes for the mind when you're maybe feeling, um, unmotivated, defeated, um, in your head, feeling like, you know, you can't quite unpack all of your feelings. So I've just found them to be really, uh, a, a great visual tool for me when I need to feel like I can relate to someone or something and, um, kind of make a shift in my mindset. So three different, but, um, equally, and I mean, just amazing accounts that have really helped me optimize my mindset in all aspects of my life. Awesome. Thank you for preparing that. And what we'll do is we'll link those three accounts uh, in the show notes after the episode. So so thanks for, for sharing. So the last question, um, if you could give, obviously we've kind of talked on lots of theory um, and, you know, we've touched a lot on joy, which is, which is amazing. But if you could give us three practical steps that people could do to maybe develop a more optimal mindset, what would those three steps be? Ooh, that's a good one. Okay. Um, I think first is start to identify, whether it's like mentally or in a journal maybe, identify where you're finding the most joy in, in anything. For me, for a while, it was painting. Um, cooking is a huge one. Taking my dog on walks, uh, getting up early to meditate. Just any of those little things, whether even if you don't feel like they're productive per se, um, and jotting them down, putting them in a habit tracker, because simply by identifying the things that you love doing, um, maybe it's just having coffee in bed, something like that, is you're just cultivating more joy in your life, right? So, and sometimes we're not even aware of them. You realize, oh, I haven't done that in a couple of days. Like, I miss that. Then maybe that's one thing that you want to add to that list. So finding the things that spark joy. <laughs> um, and then number two, I think kind of leading off of that is then find movement that works for you. Uh, like I said, I've, you know, gone through the gamut of types of exercise to kind of figure out what works for me at this moment in my life. So, you know, if it's dancing, if it's uh, rollerblading, walking, um, which is working for me right now, some of it, just any type of movement that is uh, making you feel good. And again, adding that to the list and seeing how, you know, how can I incorporate that more in my daily routine? Um 
and maybe then like what's the next step for me like I said I'm very a, a small goal or a small nudge that's kind of how I'm orient myself to make progress and then finally I think um I said I've talked a lot about doing self check-ins so uh I'm a person that lives in my head frequently and so sometimes as like all the thoughts thoughts kind of run amok I kind of uh sift through and try to think okay how you know how is this habit that I've been doing or this action been making me feel is this something that's still bringing me joy was it ever bringing me joy um what's kind of the the reason behind this and what shift can I make to uh to you know reduce the anxiety is bringing me or to do more of it because it makes me feel good etc so just kind of really deliberate intentional check-ins just because I think sometimes we get in habits that don't make us feel good for me it's scrolling on my phone before I go to bed (laughs) so just to kind of yeah become more in tune with you wow three three awesome answers there and I actually I love what you said about often it's in that ab- I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing here but I love what you said about it's almost in the absence of doing something that you mm. realize how effective that habit or that 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 thing that you do is right like sometimes when you don't do something you actually and you feel worse you realize that actually by doing it in the first place it makes you feel better but you sometimes don't recognize that that's happening if that makes sense to- yeah completely that for me it was cooking like I never liked to cook and then I think I don't know, we were maybe on vacation or something, which I <laughs> got luxury. Um, but I came back and I was, you know, maybe we should order out. And I was like, no, I really actually miss cooking. Like, this is something that sparks joy for me. And then identifying that, I mean, now, you know, you can't ever get me to order and I want to cook every night. So just, I think it's, yeah, it's be, it's awareness, right? Kind of creating that awareness of what what feels good. And like you said, noticing when you're feeling off, okay, well, what am I, what isn't happening? Yeah, and I appreciate all the wonderful food that you make at home, at home as well. That's something that uh, that's something that brings me joy as well. So, where can people follow you uh, if they wanted to find out more about your your story and about some of the the things that you've done and your participation in races? Um, ooh, that's exciting. Um, my Instagram is a s h e six one zero a s h e a six one zero. My photo is a picture of me free diving that was a cool experience that sparked joy um you can follow yeah find me there um my email anniemarieshe at gmail.com if you want to uh chat or if you want to like be exercise buddies that could be cool um yeah perfect well we'll link we'll link all this this information we'll add this to the show notes as well so people can uh can follow up um but i really just wanted to say thank you um I mean, I already know. I already know where this and I, I, where this what the episode title of this episode is going to be talking about how much joy we can find in exercising. Um, but I really just wanted to thank you for being vulnerable um, and for being willing to come on and to share um, how you shifted your mindset and um, you've given some really good practical examples of what people can use. So there's going to be a lot that, that our guests can take away. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'm honored to make a guest appearance on the Optimal Mindset podcast. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. So thanks for having me. Perfect. So we have uh, created uh, an Instagram page. It is uh, if you type in the optimal mindset into Instagram and there you will find information about all of our guests, um, their accomplishments, and you can find out more about our upcoming show. So please give that a, a follow. Um, and thank you for tuning into the optimal mindset today.
um, and we hope to see you again very soon. All right, take care, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Optimal Mindset podcast today. We are available on SoundCloud and on Spotify. I've included all my information in the show notes for those who wish to find out more about our, our guests and upcoming episodes. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life.